everyone. I'm Sarah, and this is Mocha Scientist for Kids. And next slide, please. So today we have a presentation from Dr. Avens, a research fishery biologist from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. So please welcome her. And if you have any questions, just type them in the chat and we'll answer them. So thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Sarah, and to your brother, Brandon, for inviting me to be here today. I'm happy to have the opportunity. Appreciate it. So, um, yes, so I am a research fishery biologist and I work for the National Marine Fisheries Service. And in my job, I'm lucky enough to be able to do a lots of different types of research with turtles. But I thought since it's getting close to Halloween, maybe we would talk a little bit about skeletons and talk about the secrets of sea turtle bones, what we can find out from them. And sometimes when I talk to groups, they want to know what kind of a place is it that you can go and do work that's related to sea turtles? Like, how can you have a job studying sea turtles? And so, like I said, I work for the National Marine Fisheries Service, which is part of a U.S. federal agency called the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA for short. You might have seen that NOAA logo before because NOAA also um, houses the National Weather Service, which is the agency that collects all the weather data that feed into local forecasts and hurricane uh, information, all those sorts of things. Um, and then a bunch of other agencies that deal with satellites and ships in the atmosphere. But like I said, the National Marine Fisheries Service is part of that. Um, like the name indicates, the Fisheries Service focuses a lot on fish and fish, fisher people, but it also is responsible for what are called protected resources. And those are those resources or animals that are protected by federal law, like the Marine Mammal Protection Act, and on also the Endangered Species Act. So um, there are seven sea turtle species that are found in the world, and the U.S. is lucky enough to have five of these occur regularly in U.S. waters during at least one part of their lives, if not more. We have loggerhead sea turtles, green sea turtles, Kemp's release, and Hawksville sea turtles, which are the so-called hard-shelled sea turtles. They have the hard upper and lower shells that you think of when you think about turtles in general. But then we also have the leatherback turtle, which is the world's largest turtle. Um, they can get to be, you know, anywhere from six to eight feet long and weigh a thousand pounds. Um, there are some records even more than that. I and um, they have a very soft leathery shell, as the name indicates. Um, these turtles, the different species, live in slightly different habitats and they eat slightly different things. But one thing that they do all have in common um, is that they are listed as threatened or endangered under the U.S. Endangered Species Act. Um, and they're either threatened or endangered because that reflects the relative risk of extinction if people don't step in and try to help them out. Um, another thing they all have in common is the fact that every um, year during the warmer months, the adult females crawl up on sandy beaches along our coasts and they dig holes in the sand in which they lay their eggs. And then after a couple of months of development, the hatchlings come scrambling out of the nest and run down to the water and they swim out to the ocean where they're going to spend the first part of their lives. Um, after a year or more, depending on the species, they then move as larger juveniles closer to the coast into coastal waters and they set up their foraging grounds there. They find good places to um, live and to eat and grow in some places where the water temperatures get cold because they are reptiles or cold blooded. They have to move out of that, out of those cold temperatures or they can um, become sick or sometimes even die. 
But then eventually they grow up, become adults, and the cycle starts all over again. So, like I said, the National Marine Fisheries Service is responsible, you know, for, for protecting these sea turtles. And to try to do that, um, we really need to understand these sea turtle populations. There are a lot of questions that we need to answer. Things like, how many are there? You know, at all the different life stages, are the numbers going up? Are they stable? Or are they going down? We also need to know where they spend their time. Um, we know in general sort of where the different life stages are, but, you know, what kind of habitat do they need to live in? And then that feeds into the next question because we need to know, are they affected by human activities? Um, you know, humans are in coastal waters a lot. We have a lot of fishing activities. Sometimes those things overlap with sea turtles and can um, harm them or in some cases kill them. So we need to understand how to balance those things. Uh, we need to know what sea turtles eat because they can't grow and live well unless they have enough of their favorite foods. And then we need to know if they're healthy. So we work with wildlife veterinarians to figure out if there are diseases that might be affecting the populations. And then last, but definitely not least, we need to know how long it takes them to become adults. So in the case of loggerheads, for example, how long before that two inch hatchling that scrambles off the beach into the open water, um, does it take before it grows up into that adult that's three to four feet long and shows back up on the beach? So that age information is really important, but sea turtles are not very uh, forthcoming with that information. They hide their age really well. So unlike other turtles, like this um, little turtle on the left that has rings on the scales of its lower shell, its plastron, that you can count to get an estimate of age. If you look on the right-hand side, this is a juvenile green turtle, you can see that its scales are really smooth. So sea turtles don't really have any features on the outside of their bodies that can tell us how old they are. So the follow-on question is then, well, maybe you can measure them just to see how quickly they grow and then calculate how long it takes them to get from one size to the next. So their turtles present a challenge too, because sea turtles tend to grow pretty slowly. And there are lots of differences in how quickly they grow, not just between different turtles in the population, but also from, in an individual turtle from year to year. One year, maybe it'll grow a lot. The next year, it won't grow very much at all. Another thing that, um, another challenge that sea turtles present is the fact that they're highly migratory. And all that means is that they move around a lot. Um, individual turtles can move hundreds of miles every year. And so that makes it really difficult to get your hands on the same turtle over and over again to measure it to see how quickly it's growing. So I always kind of joke around. I feel like we have a lot of questions that we need to answer for sea turtles, but all we get is this peak. And then they're gone and we're left trying to figure out, well, how on earth are we going to collect this information? And so that puts us in a position of becoming sort of biological detectives in order to get the information in an indirect way. So one of these um, indirect ways is something that I spend a lot of my time on, which is a research technique called skeletochronology. And that's a mouthful. Um, it's fun to say after you practice it a few times. But if you break it down to its Latin roots, you can see in the parentheses what it means is the study of time and bone. And it's really similar to something that might be more familiar to people, which is dendrochronology, which is the study of time in trees. If you've ever seen a tree stump and you've looked at the section and counted the number of rings, that's very similar to the type of research that I do. On the right-hand side of the slide, if you'll see that um, schematic, you'll see that's a cross-section of bone. And at the center of bone, you've got the spongy, porous core. And then at the outer edge of the bone, you've got the most recent uh, bone that's still growing and adding on layers. 
In that middle part, you'll see that there are rings and there are zones of wide, there are wide zones that are fast bone growth that are shown here in the white, and then the narrow zones of slow to no bone growth that are shown here in the black. And each, these are skeletal growth marks, and each of these is made up of a pair, one wide zone and one narrow zone. And the oldest marks are toward the center, and the most recent marks are put down toward the outer edge. So when you know you talk about skeletal chronology, another question might be, well, how on earth are you getting samples to study sea turtle bones? Because not only do we not want to harm them, but they're protected by law. And this is where we always give a big shout out to what's called the Sea Turtle Stranding and Salvage Network. Because when sea turtles do die and they wash ashore onto beaches dead or what's called strand, then there are people that monitor these beaches and they look at what species wash up, how big they are, and they try to look for reasons why they might have stranded dead to try to help them. Um, in some cases, though, they're also really nice in that they help us out by collecting samples for research. So in our case, a lot of people have been willing to collect the left front flipper from sea turtles that strand dead. Um, and that lets us get at the bone that we use for skeletal chronology, which is the humerus bone. And this is the same as the upper arm bone in each of our arms. To prepare the bones for skeletal chronology, we take a cross section using a low speed saw that has a diamond coated blade. Um, we then take that cross section and decalcify it to make it softer and easier to cut. We do this in the same way that you maybe in science class have taken a chicken egg or a chicken bone and put it in vinegar, which is acetic acid, and it makes it all squishy and, and kind of easy um, to, to manage. We take that decalcified cross-section of bone and put it on the microtome, which is at the upper right of the, the side. <clears throat> and then we use a super sharp knife to cut uh, sections that are just a few micrometers thick that we can then stain using a hematoxylin stain, which is this purplish blue color. And that produces the stained thin section that you see at the bottom right of the slide. Um, and you can see the darker rings throughout that bone, just like a tree trunk. So the research that we've done in my lab um, has demonstrated that the marks, these skeletal growth marks are put down in the bones uh, one every year. So it's annual growth mark deposition. And so what that lets us do is to go through these bones and then assign an age to each of the marks. Good. Good job. And then also a calendar year. So for example, for this bone from a small Kemp's release sea turtle, we are able to know that the turtle hatched in 2008 and it's stranded in 2012 at an age of three and a half years. Our research has also shown that there's a really close relationship between the diameter of the bone that we're using for skeletal chronology and the length of the shell of sea turtles. And that's usually what's used to estimate or document turtle size. And that close relationship is really helpful because we've also done research then to demonstrate that the length of a turtle shell um, at the time that a growth mark was deposited can also be predicted from the diameter of that growth mark. So what that lets us do then, going back to this little Kempsterly bone, is then to assign not just a calendar year and, and an age to each growth mark, but also a size. And then because those marks are put down every year, we can take the difference between those sizes and calculate what's called an annual growth rate. And that's not all. Um, we can also go through and analyze the chemical makeup of each of those growth marks. And that can tell us about where the turtles have been living and what they've been eating. 
And so, for example, for this turtle, it could tell us that the turtle was living out in the open ocean for the first couple of years of its life, and then it moved into habitat that was closer to shore. So that's an enormous amount of information that you can get from one small bone. So going back to the question of how long it takes them to become adults, skeletal chronology has made it possible to collect a lot of this information for species that hasn't been possible to obtain in the past. Uh, on average, there's, well, there's a lot of variability for the different species, but on average for the larger hard-shelled species like loggerheads and green turtles, we found that it's um, on average about 35 to 45 years uh, for them to become adults. For the smaller hard-shelled species like Kemp's Ridleys and Hawksbills, they mature a lot younger, more on the order of 12 to 16 years. And then for leatherbacks, which again, like I said, were the largest sea turtle, but they don't have that hard shell, they mature a lot earlier than you might expect, somewhere around 18 years of age. So the age information has been really important, but we're also finding that the growth information is significant too. We can look at growth rates throughout individual turtle lives, turtles' lives, and then also across the population from different areas and over time. So for example, if we look at growth by location, we might be able to tell the difference in growth rates from one place to another. Like this example shows that North Carolina growth is a lot lower than in other places. Or just looking at growth rates over time to see when they might change and then have a better idea of what might be influencing them. So those are just a few of the secrets that we've been able to get out of sea turtle bones. And so I just uh, wanted to thank you guys for your attention. I'm again grateful to be here today and I'm happy to answer any questions that you might have. Thank you so much. Are there any questions in the chat? Just type them. And then also, if you have like a question that I think of later, just feel free to email me and I can forward your email. So does anyone have any questions? I see from Juliet that her mom also works at NOAA, but in a different department. So that's exciting. What department does she work in? Do you know? Something confused. What department do you work at again? What department do you work at again? No. Anua. <laughs> you don't know. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, no problem. So Jacob asked, "How old is the oldest turtle?" <laughs> Yeah, so the oldest turtle that I've ever aged was a loggerhead, and it was 87 years old. <laughs> and then another question is, is calcium important to turtles? Yes, so calcium is important to turtles. Those nesting females need to have a lot of calcium to make the eggshells, um, you know, that they when they lay their eggs. Um, depending on the species, some of them are laying nests of like 100 plus eggs at a time and they may lay multiple nests per season. And so they need to have a lot of calcium to be able to put down there. And then I don't know if this is a question, but someone wants to comment. Yeah. Oh, I heard that turtle eggs are edible. Yes. And um, so actually, historically, people used to eat a lot of turtle eggs. Um, and traditionally, Actually, you know, there are plenty of places where people still count on turtle eggs as a really significant <laughs> source of protein. I see the ew. <laughs> um, 
So, and part of the reason why turtles are so endangered in some places is because not just the eggs are eat, are eaten, but also for a long time, the turtles themselves were eaten. So green sea turtles were a really big source of protein for explorers. Um, when people used to you know, travel on ships, they would take turtles with them or they would catch turtles and eat them. Um, so that is part of, um, part of the reason why the turtles numbers are down in a lot of places. And somebody, Jacob's disgusted. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, how do they get calcium? Oh, how thick is the turtle shell first? So it depends on the species. So a lot, let's see, a lot of that shell is bone. Um, the turtle shells are modified rib bones. And so, and depending on like the really small turtles, the juvenile turtles might have like a quarter inch thick. But I'm trying to think, you know, some of the bigger turtles, the older turtles might have um, those ribs and then the, the scales over them that might be more on the order of an inch thick. Um, 